Excellent. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friday Voice. We've had a break for the summer, but now we're back for the rest of this year. I'm Andrea James. I'm your host for Friday Voice series, um, as well as all the other podcasts here at Voice at the Table. So do check our website, voiceatthetable.com, for more useful resources. Today, we have Janet Tarofsky, who will tackle the topic of how to have courageous conversations. I know that often problems worsen because we simply cannot bear to discuss something that we find uncomfortable. I'm, I'm certainly keen to get a few insights from Janet this lunchtime. Um, Janet is an award-winning speaker and trains companies on how to have productive, courageous conversations. She's had 20 years of experience in the consumer goods industry and has developed marketing products around the globe. She's created actually 500 products in her career. So welcome, Janet. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. Um, could you tell us how your experience has led, us, led you to dis present on this topic today? Well, yes, I can. Um, ultimately, I must be very clear to everybody listening that I am not a psychologist or a, a, a scholar. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm really nobody of an educational background. My background comes from 20 years of dealing with some very, very difficult people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I have overcome just about every single obstacle that's come my way from starting my own business to working within large size companies, working small size companies, and of course, managing my career while I was bringing up my daughter as a single mom. Mm. So yeah, so that's, I, I acquired lots of experience from everyday challenges. And I think that's the main point about what I deal with is I am not going to say I have climbed Everest and therefore I can solve everyone's problems. I am saying that I have lived through almost all of the corporate challenges, especially when it comes to employees and bosses. And that's the experience I want to share today. Yeah. And, and it was a tough industry as well, right? Very, very tough industry, especially with regard to the fact that people would hold back when they wanted to say things, um, their frustrations would boil over and ultimately, people would end up leaving their jobs because they weren't able to have the conversation that they needed to have. Or even friendships that I've seen you know, at work mm -hmm. completely fall apart because of fear of confrontation. Sure. Then, yeah. Of course, there's the main issue, which is like thousands of millions of pounds that get flushed down the toilet because people are misinterpreting each other or not getting along. Yeah, and I think culturally, too, it's, it's very common here in, in Britain. I, I have to agree. I'm, I'm Canadian born. Um, I've lived here for 17 years and uh, I am always fascinated by the amount of re reserve and reservation people have by expressing their feelings in England. It mm. doesn't happen as much in Canada. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen as much. Sure. Yeah. So before we begin, a very quick word about the format. Janet will be presenting four key points today. But I'll be monitoring the chat box throughout the presentation. So feel free at any point to ask questions or make comments. And I'll convey them to Janet when we break in between each point. 
If you'd like to speak to Janet directly, uh, just let me know again in the chat box and I'll unmute you during one of these times. Uh, please note that this is recorded and will be shared with uh, the other voice at the table members, anyone who's registered essentially. Right, let's get on with the presentation. All uh, right. So a couple of questions first. Um, why do we avoid speaking up in challenging situations? Well, that's a really good question. One that often comes up, actually. And it's good to look at because I think that in order to resolve these type of challenging situations, we need to know why we're avoiding them in the first place. So thanks for that. Um, well, the most obvious reason why we don't confront a challenging situation is because of fear of what others will think of us because of fear of what other will, others will say, um, and perhaps even just being judged by others if we do speak our mind. Um, fear of being laughed at is something that we have all had in us since we were children. And I think that we try to avoid any type of situation which will make us feel uncomfortable. So that's reason number one. Um, reason, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's, it's the most obvious. I think reason number two is, um, especially in the workplace, we avoid challenging situations because we're afraid that our credibility will be hurt if we do confront somebody. So if it sounds unprofessional or if it, it comes across in a way that isn't exactly what, the way we meant to say something, we will again hurt our chances of promotion or hurt our credibility within the team structure. But I think if I was to say that the most popular reason why people don't actually speak up hence and confront their colleagues or especially their bosses is deep down, I'm not sure that people really believe it's going to change anything. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? And actually, this isn't my own observation. This is coming from a, a, a few articles and research studies that have been done on, on this issue. And people think, well, What's the point? Why would I want to up, uh, create an uproar at the office if nothing's going to come of it? That's we interesting. Yeah. Because I, I, personally, I found that the people that I'm least likely to approach, I've witnessed other people trying to have conversations with them that fail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or nothing's changed. They, they don't change their behavior. And there is a little bit of a bashing your head against a wall um, feeling towards it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what many, many people feel. Like you're not alone there, Andrea. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but then the second question is, the obvious one is, is why must we deal with these uh, challenging yeah. questions, challenging exactly. conversations? Why do I spend my, my days trying to get people to do it? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think that, uh, I, I think there's so many reasons. Obviously, for our own health and well-being is, is the most obvious reason, but I think that for all of those out there who have difficult and challenging teams to work within, if you were to do it for any reason, it is to establish your, uh, what's the word, image and your identity within your team. So if you don't speak up for yourself, if you don't handle a challenging conversation, if you let things slide, then your reflection within your team will not be as positive as if you did handle it in a very professional way. And so it's almost an opportunity to create 
a persona for yourself and, and raise your identity within your team. I think that's the reason we need to confront challenging conversations. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Uh, just a reminder to everybody uh, who's joined in, if you have any questions, please feel free to drop them in the chat box. Okay, so would you like me to start with my, my process of how to deal with challenging conversations, particularly challenging work colleagues? That would be great, yeah. Okay, great. All right, so what I did is I devised a very, for this particular webinar, I devised a very quick and easy technique which you could try to use so that I can give you some value in the next little while. Obviously, this is, this is done because we only have a short period of time together. And this type of training takes a lot of practice and a lot more time. But I wanted to give you something. So we created this DARE technique for you today. The DARE technique begins with diagnosing and then moves on to acknowledging follows on by recognizing and ends with every essential tools. So let's begin. Oh, obviously that, that actually spells something, which is DARE, <laughs> an easy acronym for you to remember so that when you're at the office at, with a work colleague that you're not getting along with, you can have a recall of that word DARE coming to you. So starting quickly with the letter D. D is for diagnose. And I truly believe that if you're going to resolve any con issue, any conflict, you really need to understand what it is that underlies this conflict. If you don't really understand, if you're just dealing with a surface issue, let's say somebody's angry because uh, you, you, you came into the office two minutes late, you can't just deal with that two minutes late issue. You know that there's some anger, some issues that are going on underneath the surface. So you, you have to go and dig deeper. And that's where the diagnosing comes in. There's a million different tools of which you can do this. But obviously, if you're dealing with a team scenario, you're not going to pull out your tools and start asking certain surveyed questions. So my real suggestions here and my most easy to use suggestions are to start with listening. Now, Andrea, if you could just prompt the listening cue where, where it actually says listen. Um, Andrea, there we go. So step one is to listen. Now, yes, I know that sounds obvious. Um, however, if you listen in the right way, the type of insights that you'll get are pretty fascinating. They say that about 80% of the time when people speak, that, that we don't listen to them. And that ultimately you're just thinking of what you're going to say next. So if you actually stop and you really listen to what people are saying, you actually listen to the words that they're choosing, the tone in their voice, when they pause, all of these these indicators are very telling. And the goal of diagnosing, the goal of listening, as we just said, is to really understand what's underneath. And the word for that that I use is you're understanding the person's motivation. You're trying to understand what is it that they're really concerned about rather than you being two minutes late. So the type of questions that you need to ask in order to really gauge, uh, sorry, there's more. So you go, go to the next step, Andrea. So by listening, you're listening to the type of, of words that they use and the tone of their voice. 
But if you can't tell anything, then you need to go to the next stage, which is engaging. And engaging is all about question asking. And for me, it's not about interrogating these people because you'll just get them further on their back foot and they don't want to discuss anything with you if you're going to interrogate. But if you ask certain questions by engaging with them, then you'll be able to understand a lot more about their motivation. So for example, if you understand, if you want to know what somebody's issue is, you need to ask them something like, why is this important to you? Why is this issue important to you? Why is me being late, two minutes late important to you? Were you expecting me to be in a meeting? Was there something that I'm missing here? And if you say to them, why is this important to you? Then you actually will listen to their words when they answer you. And there could be several ways that they answer that question. That question could be answered to, well, because I needed you in order to achieve a certain goal. And then you know, okay, well, that's important to them because you are important to them and that you need to be there in order to help them achieve a goal. So that is, they're, they're kind of going towards something and they need you to accomplish it. Or they could actually say stuff like, because I, I know our boss is coming and I wanted to prevent us from getting caught being late. And again, you'll understand that then their, their motivation is to avoid being punished or avoid getting away from something that they don't want. So you're learning. You're learning because of your, the fact that you're now going to tune in and listen to what it is that they're trying to tell you from what they don't know how to tell you. I hope that, does that make sense, Andrea? Am I making sense to you? Uh, yeah, you are. Okay, so the words that you are listening to are the words that they are meaning to say that underline the initial problem. There are other questions that you can ask as well. There are things like, okay, if I was to make you perfectly happy, how would I do that? Let's say you're working on a project together and they're getting very irritated with you or you're getting very irritated with them. You have to then step back and say, okay, let's, let's create some sort of, um, objective. So let's create some sort of guidelines here. What is it that would make you say that we've done a really good job on our project together? And again, you're going to listen to their answers and their answers could be stuff like, well, it's going to make our boss happy or it's going to show that our profits uh, went up because of this project. So you're kind of listening to stuff that, that is telling you that these people are very concerned about how other people will see them. Yeah. So you're almost, you're looking for their motivator. Their motivator is that other people will see them in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Or they might say, because I know all of met our objectives that, was, that were given to us and I could check this off my list. And then you kind of understand that this is an internal objective. This is an internal motivator. And again, you start to really diagnose what the issues underneath the, the problem are, and then you could address them. I'm not telling you how to address them here. This first stage is diagnosing. And so we're just starting to understand what the people that you are working with that you find difficult are thinking. And these are the type of questions that you would ask in order to get more information from them. So it's diving deeper, looking be beneath the surface of what's be the problem. Absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. Absolutely correct. And I think 
if you were to take one thing away from the diagnosing step, it's that the only way you can understand what another person is thinking is by asking the one main question, which is why is this important to you? What matters to you? Because A, you're giving them the opportunity to express what it is that, that is underlying the issue, but you're also showing them a bit of respect. And you're showing them a bit of respect by showing them that you care about what it is that they're thinking. And so if you want to actually mend a broken relationship, that's one way to show that you actually, what they think matters to you. So that's a great question. Yeah, too often we make assumptions about what's, what matters to the other person, I think. Exactly. And asking questions is the best way to actually move on. And I suppose the third step, which I won't delve into due to lack of time, is to connect with the, with the type of person that you're working with. Now, I just want to say here that we should all know that we are going to be in work scenarios for the rest of our lives where we are going to be working with people that we don't necessarily click with. Okay? Unless, of course, you start your own business, of which, you know, by all means. But if you're going to work in a corporate environment, it's not you that's choosing your team. It's somebody else. And so we have to live with the fact that we're not going to like everybody. And that's okay. So the first two steps, listening and engaging, is really coming to understand people that you work with. But connecting is about how to work well with them. And we're going to get into that in our, a bit further on. But it, there's lots to be said. The main point that has to be very, that very um, apparent right now is that you don't need to like everybody that you work with. You simply need to understand them, and you also need to be able to work with them. So let's skip the connect part, and we're going to get to that at another date. So why don't we move on to step two? Okay, um, just before we, we move on, Yes. Oh, do you have any questions? Yes. Um, in relation to connection, actually, um, how important is connection in order to have engagement? Well, it depends on how you define connection. So if you're going to connect with somebody, you could say you're doing that by just simple conversation and understanding each other. Mm -hmm. Or if you're looking at a deeper connection, so, so uh, an ability to really get somebody, really be able to understand somebody and really have them understand you. I would say that in a work environment, it, it's very useful to have, but not a necessity. I think that you, to have a nice connection, a workable connection, these are, are parts of a working relationship that you need to focus on. To have a deep connection is something that is a nice to have, not necessarily a need. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I would add one, one thing, which is <laughs> leaving the corporate world and starting your own business, you still have a lot to deal with. Suppliers, <laughs> um, just a whole lot of people with whom you need to have these conversations with as well. So it's, it's not as if one escapes. <laughs> No, that's true. That's it's a very good it's, it's maybe less frequent, but it, uh, it, it still comes up. And that's why these tools actually can be used mm -hmm. at any time with anybody. Definitely. And I think that when I, when I speak to my suppliers and I speak to often, I speak to different types of companies that are very different from me. 
right. have to acknowledge the fact that I really need to understand them because they're not coming from my world. I'm not coming from their world. And we're both going to come at a certain scenario in, a, in different ways. And that is why it's so important to listen to where, where their motivators are, to engage with them and ask the right type of questions to understand what it is that is an underlying issue behind a problem. Great. Shall we move on to the next um, point? Yes, let's, let's. Okay, so the next point is really about acknowledgement. And this is one that I think too many people miss. Yeah? It's, it's sad because we are all very different people. And in the end, our world, and it, we're encouraging each other to be themselves, to be individuals. But when it comes to working together, <laughs> it tends to be that we then all assume that everybody is just like you. And I find this a fascinating thing to watch because even when it comes to a version of a story that you may have told to somebody and your version is never going to be the only version of that story, that story probably can be told by five different people in five different ways, whoever was there. So you'll never have one version of a story. And it's the same with a picture. If you've ever seen any type of art, and obviously you have, but if you've ever really looked at them, you will have several million interpretations of that piece of art. There's never just one perception of it. And what I find very interesting is that people do acknowledge that. They acknowledge the stories, they acknowledge the art, but they don't acknowledge the fact that when we speak words, those two can be misinterpreted. Mm -hmm. Those two have a, a perception around specific words. And I don't know which industry all of you are in, but I'm sure many of you have certain industry terms which might be used very often that people tend to misconstrue or perhaps see in different ways. Now, I come, I work a lot in the um, consumer goods industry, in particular the beauty industry. And we often use a word, and I'm going to give you an example here, and this word is luxury, okay? When people say, oh, I want a very luxurious experience, or they want a luxurious feel, or they want a luxurious product, they could mean something like a fur coat, or perhaps some gorgeous pearls, or lots and lots of gold, or it just very, very um, beautiful and blingy, may I say, type of items, which are um, indulgent. They are indulgent and they are luxurious. There's nothing that is not luxury about those items that you're seeing in front of you. But very often, and if you were to ask me, Janet, what do you think luxury is? I would come up with a very different definition. To me, luxury is very simple. Clean lines, very, very um, colorless, to be honest, almost um, see-through, transparent, very clearly simple, defined lines, lots of space, lots of, of clear, open, minimal space. That, to me, is luxury. So when a client or, or anybody is saying to me, I want a luxurious product, well, you can see <laughs> how that can be majorly, majorly uh, uh, misconstrued and that the word luxury can be perceived in so, and those are only two definitions of luxury. If you look at uh, Dior and Chanel, they both coexist very well together because they both, they define luxury in very different ways. So how does 
anyone expect you to understand when, when you say, I want a luxurious product, for you to then come up with a luxurious product? So I'm using my industry. Can any of you come up with words that, that are often used in your industry? Andrea, if you want to come up with a word, and we'll, we'll look at that word and how they are often mis, misperceived. Well, I think for me, it's, it's things to do around time. So what is a long time? What is a short time? Ah, that's People often bandy those things around, um, thinking that the other person has the same range as them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I perceive as short and what somebody else perceives as short is completely different sometimes. Yeah, exactly. I'll have it to you ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ASAP doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to both of you. That's so true. In um, a minute was, uh, was my experience. Um, yeah. And they actually meant by close of business. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, in a minute, it's, it's kind of 10 minutes, maybe at the end of the hour at a push. Yeah. <laughs> um, I totally agree. That's, and that's, uh, you know, really very relevant for all of us. So when a colleague of yours says, yes, I'll get on to this right away, in their mind, they have four other things that they want to do, and then they'll get to it. It, but that to them is right away but to you you meant you thought they meant within the next few minutes so that could cause major major issues yeah so I think um, I think that that's something that we all experience and it's something that we need to be aware of that words can be mis can be um, misunderstood and really viewed several different ways I think the main message that I want to get out of the a for acknowledge is that the first rule that I always teach all of my students and every, every company that I walk into is that you are not right. In any, any conflict, in any uh, misunderstanding, you need to walk into that challenging conversation, understanding that you are not right. It doesn't mean you're wrong. But it also, you need to understand that you might not be right and so that you open your mind up to what the other person's opinion is. And that other person's opinion thinks they're just as right as you think that, they, that you are. Mm -hmm. So you have to go in to understand that you could have very possibly misunderstood something they were saying. You could have very possibly had your own assumption of, of something that you had thought was fact. And so when you approach a challenging conversation... You need to stop assuming. You need to ask far more questions that you already do. And the hardest part is you need to try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and what I found as well is for some people, it's difficult to ask those questions because the, the questions themselves can seem confrontational. Um, so you kind of have to take the lead in a way and, and at least offer clarity from your side so that they can... How, how would they be confrontational? Give me an example. What would be confrontational? Um, so if they say, you know, give it to me ASAP. And mm -hmm. I say, what do you mean by, you know, what, what, what do you see as, uh, as soon as possible? You know, when would you like it exactly? Or, you know, something gentle. I can't think of something off the top of my head now, but, but a, a gentle kind of presentation of that question. Right. Um, they might say, well, just, just get on with it. You know, don't bother me with it. Um, so when I use the word confrontational very loosely, I, I don't mean they, they feel you're threatening in any way, but they just kind of feel a bit cornered. And okay. they, they don't know how I to answer that. that. I 
could totally see that being an issue with a boss, mm-hmm. um, with a colleague. I, I don't, I think you, you have every right to ask that question. I don't think that there's, if it's your boss, what you could say is, right, it, ASAP, I will get at you within an hour. Is right, that okay? that's what I mean. Yeah, you have to offer the clarity and then allow them the opportunity to correct you. That's fine. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. So if, it's, if, it's, if you're worried that they're going to be in any way in, uh, confrontational with a question, then offer them a solution and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, if I was to, able to talk to any of you that are listening, you could give me an idea of what type of issues are often misunderstood. Um, or, but there's always some, and, and that's the thing. And when I, if I have a longer session with you, we could go through every single one of those situations where something was misunderstood or you were misunderstood and it was very frustrating and how you could have avoided that but all always at the end of it it's everyone thinks they're right so it's up to you to stop that that vicious circle it's up to you to now take a step back and say right i might not be right on this let's have a look at what could have happened indeed yeah and of course feel free to share any of the the problems that you you would have you can you can message me privately uh, as well okay great um, we're at half an hour now I believe so I want to yeah. move on to the next which is really important the next slide is all about a behavioral model that I use now just a point on behavioral models there are so many out there and all of them are very they're great at helping you understand how you react particularly in times of stress and also in times of of relaxation but because this is such a short session i have chosen one and i think what we're going to do is just look at rather than how you behave let's look at certain personality types and how they behave so that perhaps one of your colleagues that you might be having issues with falls into one of these behavioral types of 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 people so let's begin, um, and I hope that this proves useful. It has to me, I have to tell you, this is my favorite model. It's helped me enormously. Let's begin with, it's called the DISC behavioral model. And it was created by a man called Walter Vernon Scott um, and has then been adapted many, many times. And the first behavioral model is called the dominant person. So Andrea, if you could just press on dominance. There you go. So the dominant person is generally somebody who feels um, they're, they're very often very direct people. Um, they're assertive. They're very competitive. They have a drive that, that, that many don't have. They're, they're self-starters. Um, very often these are your MDs of, of companies, but actually everybody starts somewhere. So you could ha- easily have a dominant person in your team. Um, you can recognize them by, by the fact that they focus very much on power. Um, are you there, Andrea? Yep. Okay, sorry. I, I heard some different stuff going on in the background. Um, and their communication style is very much they tell you what they want. They don't ask. What's really important about these dominant type of people is that you get um, a, an, a feeling that they are motivated by goals, but also that they are petrified of failure and that they are a very authoritative type of person. 
So if I was to say, want to deal with this type, first of all, let me ask, does anyone out there work with a dominant type of person? Anyone in this, on this uh, session work with dominant type of people? Andrew, are we getting any answers? Because I can't see. Hello? Sorry, I muted myself. Yes, we are getting some answers. Oh, okay. What, what kind of answer? Is that a yes, no? Do people uh, have yes. dominant... Okay, great. <laughs> okay, well, then here's a few tips on dealing with dominant people. By the way, I have to tell you before I go on is that I could be a very dominant type of person. Um, every company needs these type of people as much as they're going to need all the type of people that I'm speaking of. So there's no good or bad. It's just knowing how to deal with them. So especially if this, is, this topic is how to deal with difficult colleagues, I imagine many of them might fall into this category. So some tips for you for interacting with them is that you need to go and be very direct with these people. These people are always on, in, on, uh, on the run. They, they're very, very much on the run. They're busy and they feel like they have so much on. So if you just be direct with them and you focus on results, then, then you are ultimately catering to their goals. Goals, their motivators that we talked about at the beginning, which is why the beginning step was so important, is listening to what their motivators are. And if you understand their motivators are achievements and results, then when you speak to them, speak to them about what you can offer with regard to results or how you could work together in order to achieve your results. Ask them what, what do you think we should do? Not how do I do that? Because that's going to irritate them. Yeah, they... They don't have the time for how. They want the what's. And what's really important is that you illustrate their, that whatever solution you're going to provide is that it's going to avoid failure. Because as we talked about earlier, they, a lot of dominant people are petrified of failing. So all the words that you're going to use when dealing with a dominant person should really focus on how you're going to get results, how you're going to actually be, be successful, and how you will avoid failure. Hopefully that makes sense. Obviously you want to use a quick pace with them. What you don't want to do is engage in too much small talk. You don't want to speak too slowly and never, ever tell them what to do. Because even if they're, they're below you, by the way, it's, it's just for, for people's skills. If you actually want them to do something for you, don't tell them what to do. Show them why it will achieve results. Show them how they're going to be successful. And that's the way to manage dominant people. Yeah? It's about managing that, that relationship rather than feeling that you are being submissive. You are not being submissive. You are managing them. Is that clear? That's great. Great. So let's move on to the next person, the next behavioral type. It's the influencer. Now, this person is, uh, I, this is very much me. I've got very high influencer on my chart. Um, and very communicative people. <laughs> We're great. We're very friendly. Um, and we are very much about persuasion and verbal persuasion. So we want to make sure that everybody feels good. We're positive. We're friendly. And we are ultimately people people. Um, the communication style, they say that, that we sell, I would say influence. I think that that sell is not necessarily the right word. 
But I can say that our motivators are very much about recognition. And I can even say that about myself. I, I, I like to know that whatever I've done has been useful. That if I'm spending time with you here today, that you've gotten something from it. And if I don't get that, then I think, oh gosh, maybe I didn't do a very good job. And that's just the type of person I am. Some people don't need that. And we'll go through those people. I don't think our dominant person needs that. Mm-hmm. And, and in our next uh, type of people, we, they probably don't need that as much as an influencer does. I think that an influencer's biggest fear is, is about rejection. And so that really gives us a, a heads up into how we're going to deal with them. So some types, some, some tips on dealing with your influencer is when you're speaking to them, you do it in a very casual, open communication type of style. Have a discussion. Sit down, tell them about your weekend. They, they'd like to hear it. And they'll then tell you about theirs. And for that matter, you have to make the time, even if you are a dominant person and you don't feel you have the time, make the time to, to listen at least for a little bit to what they have to say. I think really, really important is that when you try to speak to an influencer, you need to show them how whatever you're working on or whatever you need to work on will make them look better. It's all about looking good and and making them more influential. And that is something that you could really work. If you know how to, you could really work on saying, okay, this is going to raise your profile. This is going to make you look great. And, And that influencer will respond to that. It's really about building relationships with them, with the influencer. And, and what's really important also, and I'll say that this is very much about me, is when you do have a great chat with an influencer and you discuss some ideas about your project, let's say, it's a really good idea to write it down after because they'll most likely forget. <laughs> so <laughs> writing things down is a great idea with an influencer. So I think the biggest thing not to do is to ever let that person feel like they're losing face. So, you know, it's speaking badly about them in public or actually interrupting them in the middle of a meeting. Those are things that will not go down well with your influencer type of, of person. Does that make sense, everybody? Mm-hmm. Okay, Matt? Yep. All right. Great. Let's, I know we're getting close to the end, so let's move to this, the next person, which is steady. So these people, these are great. These are, I love working with the steadiness type of people. They're very good listeners. They're very dependable. They're very kind. They're very, they're very amiable. And they are very great. They're, they're really great at af- actually having a very calm feel to the team. They're very, um, they're, they have a good pace. They're great listeners. And their motivators are always about just feeling secure and feeling included. And their fear is actually quite the opposite. It's feeling excluded and and in any way feeling insecure. Now, these are great people to work with, but I'll tell you that I have worked with many steady people and very luckily so, but what they do hate is quick change. So if you're going to introduce an idea that is completely out there, your steady person won't necessarily be able to, to grasp it very well. She, she or he will, will take time. They need time to actually process any type of change. So you need to go really slowly when it comes to new ideas with steady type of people. You also need to follow a very systematic approach when you're actually speaking and make sure you do it in a very clear order. And again, you're not doing this to, to um, 
be appeasing them. You're doing this because that's the way they can hear you. And if you want to get through to this steady type of person, they will only be able to understand what you're saying when you speak to them in a very systematic way. You want to make sure that you, you put in enough time to go through a new idea, for example, with several meetings. It's not just going to be a one meeting hit. Because you, you can't hurry a steady person. They can't feel that pressure. But they do want to be included. So never, ever exclude somebody that you're working with who is, who is a steady person because their biggest fear is to be excluded and to be left out and to actually have too much change that they can't have control over. So that is our third personality type. And let's move on to our last, which is your compliance person. Now, these people, I always imagine, in my world, they were the quality control people. Uh, perhaps in your world, they are the finance people. They're your finance directors <laughs> um, or your, your accountants. Um, and I love them. They're, they're fascinating people because they're, they're my complete opposite. Um, these are the type of people who focus very much on accurate detail. They're very careful, and they're, they're logical. They're very precise. And these type of, of behaviors, they, they tend to focus very much on policy and information. That's what motivates them, policy and information. And what they hate, absolutely hate, is conflict, and they hate chaos, which is why I scare them, <laughs> because I'm very creative, and I'm very very chaotic and that's why it doesn't necessarily work for these people so when you're dealing with a compliant person if you're anyone like me you have to really switch personality types um, and, and I don't say that you should change your personality I'm just talking about when you are dealing with them so if you're having an issue uh, with a with a colleague that is a compliant person and in order to help that issue, it's a really good idea to have some good detailed facts with you when you walk into a meeting with them. Or perhaps you provide information in writing and always have your data with you. You've got your, your charts and you've got your, oh my gosh, my computer just went off. Oh no, I'm good. Um, you've got your charts and you've got all of your, your information um, and you have a clear explanation of how you're getting from A to B with all the facts and, and, and figures behind it. If you can't do that, then what these people might feel is that you're being too flippant, that it's possible you're just, you're just being too floozy and you're not actually being able to, to back up your points with real information. Now, that's not true, I know that, that you have all the reason in the world to have your opinions even without facts and figures. But once again, we're talking about dealing with different types of people and so if this is the way that they can understand you, this is the way you can get your job done, then this is the way you need to speak with them. So that concludes the behavioral model. It's the DISC behavioral model. And I really hope that's given you a bit of insight into how different types of people work and why it's important to understand how different people work so that you can use the language that these people can understand and help you avoid conflict that you're always dealing with, with within your offices. Andrea, do you have any questions on that? Um, actually, we've got a couple of questions that have come in, not specifically on this, but they, they, they came in um, just before. Um, just my two cents on, on this before I ask those questions uh, is 
to make sure that you don't stereotype people because sometimes people come across a certain way. So, um, you know, I tend to come across kind of friendly and talkative and, and, you know, relatively bubbly. But actually, I am quite a compliance person in terms of I hate shallow things. I need people to have everything checked off. And actually, I like emails. <laughs> okay. I, I like detail. Um, yeah. and, and I get very impatient if somebody is unprepared for a meeting. Um, yes, yes. So, but I'm not, I don't look like an accountant, as it were, like the, the kind of stereotypical, you know, reserved um, type of person. And so there are a lot of kind of assumptions I found that people made about what they expect me to be and, and what happened in the end, if you see what I mean, how the interaction then okay. unfolded. Uh, I have to say that, so you are 100% right. We cannot categorize and, and put everybody in boxes. That, that is not the human behavior and that's not who we are. However, and, and so, I, yes, in saying that, what we need to realize is that compliant people could have parts of influencers, steady people could have parts of dominant, mm -hmm. uh, dominant people. We have all every a compliant uh, uh, financial analysis could be a very friendly, outgoing person. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the same person that you're thinking of in your head as you know the the dude from um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, God, what was that movie where there was that intellectual that figured out this the coding system um, in World War Two? Um, he was obsessive compulsive. Oh, oh, now you're bugging me too. Um, yeah. Oh, oh anyway. Turing, you mean? You know what I mean. So you. you Turing. Have, um, yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. So you just can't have one person in your head. There's all, all different types of people, and I run long courses on this. So you can never ever qualify just one person in one box. But what you can, and the reason why I'm showing you this in the first place is because when people are under stress, that's when they go to their behavioral type. So Andrea, you might be lovely and friendly on the phone. When something goes down, you are your compliant side. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. When stressful situations are happening, this is when you can kind of refer back to what, what box you are most heavily weighted towards. Mm -hmm. Great. So I'm going to ask you the couple of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, one says, um, so she finds it difficult to challenge people who might think that they've done their best while actually the scope for improvement. So have you got any tips on, on how one might deal with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the first thing is that commendation is often, often um, mis, uh, well, it's, it's not given too often. So when somebody has done their best, it is really important to positively reinforce that and say that is a really great job and that is really appreciated. I could see how you have thought this through and that through. So I think commendation is a necessity. But you could also say, and never say the word but, even though I just did, okay? <laughs> you could say, instead of but, you could say, and I would, I would think this would be really powerful if you could also include X, Y, and Z. Or you could say, you, know, you could say, so this is great, and you do this to make to make it even more powerful. Or you could say, this is great. I think we're our our team. But if we wanted it to be something that we could send to the sales team, 
We take exactly what you have and maybe we can add X, Y, and Z to make it more specific for them. So there's ways that you can always, you could commend somebody for their, jo their job well done by still encouraging them to go further. And that's how it's always worked for me. I, I, if somebody said, yeah, uh, not loving this, um, let's redo it, you feel deflated and you don't, you, all of your energy is gone. You really need to start with a compliment and then add with a suggestion. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, um, I'm just asking as well to make sure that the person uh, doesn't have any more questions. In the meantime, uh, there's another one that says, uh, they, they heard, so they received this. Um, somebody asked them, why did you let that happen? And, you know, it felt quite, it was quite confrontational and it tends to kind of make people go on the back foot, as it were. How do you avoid something like that? And is there a better way to approach a situation where you want to find out how something happened? Okay, so just to be clear, somebody said to the, to the person in our, our team here mm -hmm. right now, right. how could you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? Yeah. And they felt attacked, yeah, really. Correct. Right. Okay. Um, I think that the first step to that is to, to obviously the person was pretty upset. Um, and I say that. The oh, most sorry, sorry. Just to clarify as well. She would like to know how she should respond to that question. Yeah, I was just about to, because oh, sorry. I, I, I think, I mean, I think it's quite rude for them to have said that to you in the first place. However, do note that if there were other people around, it's that person that looks like the silly one. Um, dare I say idiot, and not you. Okay, so that's the first thing. How could you have let this happen? Well, that you are not God, and you're not in control of everything, which is why you can't, they, that's why they sound like the idiot, not you. But how you respond to them is not like that, okay? <laughs> how you respond to them is you say, I could see that you're very upset about this. There were several issues that happened at the same time, and you could go through what those were, and you could say, let, we could have a look at why this happened and go through it in detail so that we could avoid it happening again. You have to take yourself out because they're, they're making it personal. You now have to take the higher ground and say, this isn't a personal attack. This is about a business situation. I could see that you're upset and I appreciate that. But I think the better way to deal with it is to look at why it happened and to uh, help in order to allow us to help it never happen again from never happening again. Does that, does that give you a good answer? Uh, it, it made sense to me, but I'll just check. Yeah. Yes, that's fine. That's great. Okay. I just think, I mean, I used to get a lot of that from a lot of difficult people um, and they tend to blame you because that's what they do. They're, they're, they pass the buck. And the fact is it's nobody's buck to pass. It is a company problem. And that company problem is your team's problem, not your problem. And the most logical thing you could do is act professionally by making it a company problem and not a personal problem. I think that's a better way of answering that question. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's end off with something very, very essential, but something that we also don't have even in a, in a two-hour seminar, we wouldn't have enough time to go through in detail. So I'm going to just give you 
very, very clear essential tools, conversational skills. I'm going to give you three of them because there's a million. Three that I think are important that you can leave here today and, and actually be able to take with you in order to implement right away. So the first essential tool when you're speaking to somebody that you really are irritated by <laughs> is to ask yourself this, why do they bother me so much? Okay. Because I know in my career, there are people who bothered me and there were people who really bothered me. The people who really bothered me were the ones that for some reason, they reminded me of either my, my mother when she was angry or an ex-boyfriend or a friend that had hurt me or whoever that was, that was always an underlying reason why I really hated that person. And I say that this is an essential conversational skill because of the fact that once you realize who that person is, once you realize why that person really bothers you, then you are able to take yourself out of it and say, okay, the reason that person is really bothering me is because she reminds me of my mother and I have to realize that that is not happening. She is not my mother and I need to take her out. My mom is going out of this relationship. So that's the first step in, a good, in, a, in a dealing with somebody who really, really bothers you. The second step... <laughs> sorry, preempted you. That's all right. The second step is before you actually have a confrontational talk with them. So whoever was that, and I can't see who, I'm sorry to be um, elusive here, but whoever asked me about having, how to answer that question, that difficult question of how could you let this happen? Before you actually answer that person, the first thing that I would like you to do is to think of somebody that you love. And reason is that we are, we are animals. We are, we are in the animal kingdom. Hey, get it off. That wasn't, that wasn't meant to come up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We are we're part of the animal kingdom. And so when, when we're angry, people will sense that we're angry and that's why we're mammals. That's part of our makeup. You know, you can sense when your boss is in a bad mood, the second she walks in, when you're about to answer that person, they're going to sense that you're really angry. So by thinking of somebody you love, and now, Andrea, you could put that on, okay? <laughs> thinking about somebody adorable, like this cute little puppy over here, that your, your whole face will have just completely softened just by looking at it. Yeah? And that is what you want to start the conversation with. That's what you want to actually go into a difficult conversation, thinking of, of love and cuteness, not of anger and rage because that will just put the person on their back foot and make them even more aggressive, even more aggressive than they already are. So if you can't think of someone you love, just take that little puppy and, um, and use him. And the final tip, and this is going to end this, this whole, this seminar that I have, and Andrea, you could put on the next tip, is that we always need to acknowledge their opinion. And I'm going to tell you a story of something that happened to me when I was um, bringing up my little girl, and, uh, and we were having issues when she was about five, getting her to go to bed. I would say every single night, darling, it's time to go to bed. And every night she would say, but mommy, I'm not tired. And every night I would say, I don't give a damn, dear. 
<laughs> go to bed and it wouldn't work. And she was crying and we would, we'd argue and it was going on and on. And I finally went online and I found the solution that I used that very night. And I've used ever since in the work environment that she came to me that night. And when I said, darling, it's time to go to bed. She said, mommy, I'm not tired. And this time I said, Oh, you don't feel tired. And she said, no, I don't. And I said, oh, gosh, that must be so frustrating. What isn't it? She said, yes, it is, mummy. I said, okay, well, I understand that. But I need you to go to bed anyway. And it worked. It worked because the poor child simply needed me to validate that she didn't feel tired. And that very often, everybody, is what most people want in life. When you express your opinion, you want people to hear it. You want people to acknowledge how you feel. And that is going to be said for the person you are arguing with. So if they give you an opinion, the worst thing you could do is just throw your opinion at them. You need to repeat their opinion. Just repeat their words. Acknowledge it. Validate it. And then give yours. That is the biggest tip I could give you and something that's very close to my heart and I have to tell you it works every single time. So I believe that's all we have time for. We're at 1 o'clock, 1.30. Oh my God, it's been an hour. So I think we should probably end there. Um, all I could say is if you move to the next slide and you want more, um, more opinions, more, sorry, more, no, the next slide. Yeah, I know. I, I've got a quick announcement before I do that. Oh, okay, yes, go ahead. Sorry, um, yeah, just before we, we have that last bit, um, just a little reminder, if you're a woman who is interested in developing yourself and your career, we do have resources like video training on how to deal with conflict, performance, bullying, coaching, and, and many more of, of topics of that nature. There's also iVoice, um, which is exclusive members podcast on topics like integrity, innovation, insightfulness. They all begin with an I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also access to our coaches and experts with any questions and we actually guarantee a turnaround email within 48 hours um, mm. and also a voice online community forum where the members can interact so all of this is part of our individual membership offering and it is available for less than a price of a daily coffee. Uh, there is also a free month's trial. So if you're interested, go to voiceatthetable.com and go to the membership options uh, area and you'll be able to find out more. Thank you, Andrea. And you know what? That's absolutely true. I have, I have been to so many Voice at the Table events where I've learned an enormous amount. So mm -hmm. that is your, your go-to place for any type of skill. I am one of their associates, obviously. So I, whenever I do events, please do join us. Uh, Voice at the Table will let you know when those are. Um, and that's really it. If, um, if you want to see any more, you just get, you could also go, oh yeah, so there is a workshop in July planned. Uh, but if you want any more information, just ask Voice at the Table and they will give my details and, uh, and we'll share any new other events that are going on before July. Yeah, um, that's it, really. Yeah, right? and so the, the next Friday Voice is on the 25th of November, as the slide says, and it's how to develop great mentoring relationships. So hope you can join us for that one too. Um, and a link will be available, as Janet says, um, on the website to more of what Janet offers. So thank you so much, Janet.
for my for pleasure your- absolute pleasure i hope it was enjoyable and i hope everybody enjoyed and got something from it well, thank you very much, all of you, for, for joining in. Uh, once again, I'm Andrea James um, on behalf of Voice at the Table, and we look forward to seeing you again in November. Uh, thank you, and, and goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.